Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi guys, summer's finally here and I'm looking forward to catching up with friends and family as much as possible. At all those get-togethers, I like to have the option of being able to moderate my alcohol intake without missing out on the occasion. That's when I love a refreshing Atopia and Tonic. It's an award-winning non-alcoholic spirit with all the flavour of a premium gin but less than 0.5% alcohol. Our friends at Atopia have given us an exclusive offer for Open Mind listeners. Just head over to clinkspirits.com and use the code OPENMIND at checkout to get £5 off a bottle of Atopia and free shipping. Enjoy the summer with a bit of mindful moderation. This podcast contains conversation around eating disorders and a small reference to sexual assault and child abuse. Please listen at your own discretion. Hi, welcome back to Open Mind. Today I'm joined by Hope Virgo, a mental health advocate and author of Stand Tall, Little Girl, a book that traces Hope's own harrowing journey with anorexia. Hi Hope, how are you doing? Yeah, good thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. It's so lovely to be here. No, I'm so happy to have you. I um, So I put out the chance for my followers on Instagram to ask you questions and I got sent loads and loads, which... <laughs> in one way is really lovely but in another way kind of makes me feel sad that it's still a subject that so many people feel they need answers for. Yeah it is it feels really messy out there at the moment Um, and I think particularly given the year that everyone's had we've seen like this huge increase of people really struggling with disordered Mm. eating with eating disorders um, and kind of exercise dependencies as well and I think it feels like a bit of a minefield out there with a lack of support available as well. So do you think that has been a big thing that's come out of the pandemic that maybe people wouldn't have thought has? Like I know we kind of all talk about people's mental health, the loneliness and being stuck at home and stuff, but I guess people wouldn't necessarily have thought about eating disorders coming out of that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think eating disorders are such like an illness that is massively misunderstood still. And we're like often discounted compared to other mental health issues, which is really frustrating. But I have seen kind of more people struggling. And I think it's just created like this whole year of uncertainty and isolation, which are two things that eating disorders really, really thrive off. And that's like the scary reality with them. They try and pull people in, getting them to calorie count, getting them to control their food intake, getting them to control the numbers on the scales as a way to just get that sense of control over the pandemic. And it's been it has been really sad. But I think the thing that's probably made it worse and maybe the thing that stops people realizing the kind of wider impact is that quite often with eating disorders, we're still looking for that like emaciated white teenage girl. And Mm -hmm. we're forgetting that actually they present in all different body shapes. They affect boys, they affect girls like they can affect anyone. And it's that kind of I guess that's stopping people again, realizing the wider impact on maybe even their loved ones. I think it's that whole thing, isn't it, where if you can't really see it, then people Mm. don't realise that it's an issue. Like you say, that emaciated body, that look that we think that equates to an eating disorder, and that's not necessarily always the case. Yeah, no, definitely. 
So for you then, what was your story with your eating disorder? I had people kind of writing and say, do you do you know what kind of started yours? Yeah, so I've thought a lot about it actually, kind of over the last couple of years, trying to pinpoint probably the exact moment. But for me, it was a number of different things. So I was sexually abused as a child um, and also had quite a dysfunctional family kind of set up going on and also really struggled to kind of feel good enough a lot of the time. I think a combination of the way that things happened at home and with the abuse, I felt like there was kind of categorically something really, really wrong with me that all of this stuff was going on. And because of that, I had to find a way to manage all of those emotions that I didn't want to feel, but also to gain like a little bit more of a sense of control. And I think the really scary thing for me with my eating disorder was it really, really made me feel better in the short term. It made me feel good enough. It made me feel lovable. And I really, really kind of thrived off all those feelings. And it just kind of carried on and carried on. And looking back, I do think and there is a lot of research to show this now that people do have a genetic predisposition to oh, really? developing an eating disorder. Yeah, and it's quite, I think it's around kind of the 50, 60% marker. But for me, it's then like, actually, it was probably my genetics, but then something happened, which then caused me to then go on and develop the illness as it was. Mm. Yeah, because I think that's often a misconception. I I have suffered from an eating disorder when my anxiety and stuff was really bad. And before I had suffered from it, I always thought that it was about food. It was about just wanting to look skinny and, you know, and for some people I know it is, but for me it was more about control. And like you say, for you trying to get some of that control back. And I think that's what people find hard, isn't it? It's that like looking at someone and saying, well, just eat the food and then you'll be better. And it's, it's just not as easy as that, is it? No, and it's so frustrating when people say that because I'm like, I wish it was that easy. I wish if I just started eating, the whole thing would just fix in my head. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing, like physically things change and mentally it takes so much longer to catch up. And I wonder sometimes whether that's why there's a lot of stigma around it still as well because every single day when we're in recovery, we're like choosing to eat, but then it's not a choice to develop an eating disorder. So there's this constant kind of battle in your head going on in that day-to-day basis, which I think makes people find it even harder probably to actually understand like how complicated it is probably. Mm. And then you've kind of decided, I think most people would choose to kind of move away from a traumatic experience or something, you know, <laughs> like that, that they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Like you say, you're still, you know, it's still a constant battle for you, but you've chosen to kind of be a campaigner for eating disorders and you've kind of stayed close to it. Why, why have you decided to do that? About five, six years ago now, I relapsed. So I ended up spending a year in hospital when I was 17, kind of came out of treatment and kind of pretty much was like kind of understanding what I needed to do on a day-to-day basis and probably just kind of settled and kind of coasted along quite a bit in my recovery with a lot of bad habits, a lot of mistakes, things like that. But when I relapsed, I kind of struggled for about four or five months on my own, not really wanting to talk to anyone about it. I felt like I'd let everyone down around me, that I was kind of struggling again. And I ended up going to my GP and then getting a referral to the eating disorder service in southwest London. And after kind of that initial assessment, they fed back to me that I wasn't underweight enough, that I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, that there was probably nothing the matter with me. And it was after that appointment that I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, Mm. 
I had this four week period where I was really, really unhappy, like constantly crying on the tube, like trying to be really strong and hold it all together, but I just couldn't do it. And eventually I actually went on antidepressants as a way to try and kind of give me, I think like a little bit more energy to just kind of keep pushing on. But it was after that I got turned away that I began to speak out a little bit more about my own experience. And I realized that it was happening to like millions of people, like every single year across the whole country. And it was just, it's just not right that people are not able to access that treatment. So I think for me, that's probably where it all, I guess like that love of campaigning began, kind of fueling that. And I realized that actually I didn't want anyone to have to go through what I'd gone through. But also I think for me, there is a lot of, I guess there's a lot of negativity around making full recovery. And I know that I'm in an ongoing state of recovery, but I do believe that every single person can be fully recovered. So I think kind of bringing those two things together for me was just why I probably still do what I do and why I'm kind of constantly trying to push for change and awareness. That was actually a question that came in quite often with people saying, do you think you can ever fully recover from an eating disorder? Yeah, I I 100% think people can. I think for individuals, it's like working out what the eating disorder is doing for them. So I know for me that my eating disorder serves a purpose in my day to day, in my in my life. When I have a difficult day, I might have a tendency to kind of want to go back to those old behaviours. But the more I've like unpacked that and realised it, I'm able to kind of ask myself in those moments, like, what do I need? What what like what's triggered these feelings? How can I get to a better space? And I think as well for me, like the realization that I project all of my fears and my emotions onto my body. Say like when I have those really difficult body image days, like I know that it's because something else isn't going right for me. Um, but that said, it is, it is really difficult. And I think we do live in a society um, where we've kind of normalized this fixation on food and calories and dieting and bodies and things like that so I think that probably makes it really really difficult for people who are maybe kind of starting out and still wanting to go back to those old behaviors and you said that you decided to kind of speak out and tell your story and campaign for things and you started the curb the count campaign what's that all about what do you do for that yeah so I launched it I think like a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, And the reason I launched it was because the government were trying to bring in legislation um, to put calories on menus. um, This was a question that someone sent in. How do you feel about that? So (laughs) It's so frustrating. I'm like, I feel like it's the bane of my life at the moment. Um, And I'm like constantly talking to the government about it. And I'm like trying to get them to understand how like unhelpful it is and how like it's just not an accurate measure of health and like we don't want to kind of take all the joy out of food. Mm. So yeah, I'm very much against it, which is why the campaign kind of started as a way to really, I guess, kind of try and get that awareness around it, but also as a bit of an education piece for wider society to realise actually we don't need to be calorie counting. Like we need to be thinking about our bodies, we need to be enjoying food and we need to move away from that space of kind of shaming people as well. And I think like alongside that for me, It kind of goes hand in hand, I think, with the Dump the Scales campaign, which I've run as well, which with that as well, kind of linking them two together, it is about making sure the right support, the right treatment, everything is out there for individuals and making sure that we're setting up society in such a way that actually people aren't going to go and develop an eating disorder or an unhealthy relationship with food. What would you say then? Because I feel like their reasoning for that is to kind of help combat 
obesity, I'm guessing, is their argument. I yeah. don't know if I'm just trying to think like they would. <laughs> so what would so would you say even for those people, it's unhealthy to have those on there because it's like a constant. I don't know. It's like a bit of shame, isn't it? Like, oh, if I eat this, this is going to be however X amount or whatever. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think like if it was going to work, it would have already worked because we have calorie labeling in supermarkets and in some restaurants and on shelves. So it's the kind of thing that I think if it was going to work, it would have already worked. But I also do think there's a wider educational message that probably needs to go out. Like we know from looking at the calorie content of stuff that you have X amount of calories in a croissant and X amount of calories in eggs on toast. But actually the eggs on toast is probably in some cases the healthier choice. So it's like, actually, maybe we're just not really understanding what the human body needs. And in all honesty, I think it will just fuel like this kind of weird compensatory behaviors that people will go on to develop where maybe they'll restrict throughout the day as a way to then like allow themselves to eat Mm. something in the evening, which is just not healthy. No, I suppose I there's a pizza place that has all their (laughs) calories on on theirs. And, And even I still now I look at it and I think, oh, I should have that one because that one's only 600 calories. But then even that, I'm like, oh, my God, 600 calories, that's so much in one meal. And then it's like you can't – you go out for dinner to enjoy yourself. You you should, shouldn't you? Mm. And then you just have this guilt and pressure to kind of pick the right thing, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think even, like, my friends who don't struggle with eating disorders, like, they are still really annoyed about it because for them as well, it would just take the fun out of it. And I think probably, like, on top of that, it would just make all of us question what we're having. Like, we won't probably pick stuff because we want it. We'll pick stuff because maybe we feel, like, this obligation to choose the lowest calorie option, which is just mm-hmm. not right. Yeah, because I suppose your point of, okay, croissant, eggs on toast, they're probably not far off in calories but that doesn't mean one is you know we know one is healthier than the other and if you're just Mm. going on calories then you're not necessarily going to make the healthiest choice yeah exactly I had quite a few people on the questions write in and say how do they like what advice would you give if you're dealing with a family member that has an eating disorder and and particularly a lot of them were asking on behalf of teenage daughters and and someone said that they feel angry Do you think that's quite a common reaction? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think like looking back at my kind of teenage years, so I hid my illness for about four years before anybody realised anything was going on. But when people gradually began to start to notice, we just had just the most horrific family arguments about it. And my parents were trying really hard to be patient with me. But at the same time, they could kind of see this illness kind of tearing through my entire family and putting so much pressure on everyone around us. And even like I'm one of five, so on my brothers and sisters as well, like it was a massive impact on them as well. And I think it's okay to get angry at points at the illness. I'm not sure everyone would agree with that, Mm. but I I do think that it is okay. I think as long as you're not taking it out on that individual who's struggling and you're realising that actually there's a difference between the person with the eating disorder Um, and the eating disorder like they're a separate thing like get angry at the eating disorder encourage that person to get angry at it as well but then always come back to actually that's still that person that you really love and you really care for Um, but it's it's really difficult and I think for me it's like the more we bring these conversations out into the open and like try and understand where that young person's coming from giving them a space to feel heard I think so often with eating disorders 
And the reason they might develop is because people don't feel heard or understood. So if we move into that space where we're actually, we're giving them that chance to talk about things, it can be really, really helpful for them. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess it's just a hard conversation to have because like you say, you hid yours for four years. That's a really, yeah. really long time to be able to kind of get away with it if you want. And I suppose yeah. it's almost like an addict, isn't it? Is they're very good at hiding and lying about their, you know, what they're doing. Like, I know that I could kind of, I knew that I was so busy that no one was really taking any notice of what I was eating. Yet if I sat down with people, I could almost get away with eating a bit more and kind of letting people think I was eating more than I usually do. So I do think it's quite hard until someone starts to look, like we say, emaciated yeah. and really slim. It's not always that easy because everyone's lives are so hectic, aren't they? Yeah, and I do think as well, like, a lot of people live in that kind of middle disordered eating kind of spectrum where maybe they fast every now and again, maybe they purge, like, exercise, and we kind of just normalise that. Mm. So then sometimes I think we kind of start to second guess, like, have they got a problem or is this just what society's like? Mm. Um, but it, it's difficult, and I do think that as soon as we start to notice any changes in people, it's like, actually, that's maybe when we should start having a conversation because the sooner we get in there, like the better it is for that individual and the kind of, e well, I don't want to say easier, but arguably it might be easier to actually recover because those patterns of behavior become so ingrained. But mm. but it's hard. And I think like for me, obviously, it just, I just became very good at hiding it as well, which kind of just slipped under the radar, like that kind of thing as a way to just manage it. Mm. And how did you, when you did finally it came about that you did have an eating disorder and everyone kind of knew how have you and ever since how have you ever dealt with the judgment or the shame from that when I first was diagnosed I actually didn't believe that anything was the matter with me and kind of just carried on doing what I was doing I was really difficult at home just as like a way to kind of just be away from everyone and do my own thing and I think like since then like I, I do have moments when I feel really embarrassed about it actually and sometimes I get really embarrassed when I can't understand like a reason that I'm the way that I am. Or so um, a couple of years ago, I had this really weird wall in my head and there was no justification for it at all, but that I couldn't let someone else cook for me like in their house, but I could go to a restaurant or get a takeaway. And I just couldn't understand like what the difference was. And I got so frustrated with myself about it because I was like, why am I so, why, why am I like this? What is the matter with me? What's wrong with me? But I think kind of realising that actually it's it's okay to be like that a little bit. Um, and I think as well, like I am very careful about my boundaries. Um, so there are certain situations where I don't share what I've been through. And it sounds, that probably sounds ridiculous because I share really openly kind of publicly what I have been through. But there are certain situations where I just don't really allow the two to morph. I'm part of a kind of like group at my church. And I think for me, the reason I don't share in that setting a lot is because it brings my personal and my professional like too much together. So it's mm -hmm. like working out, I guess, those boundaries within that so that I feel okay with, yeah, where I'm at with things. I don't think you should feel like you have to tell everyone, even though you talk about it on socials and you campaign for it and stuff. I wouldn't walk into every situation and go, by the way, I've got depression and anxiety. <laughs> like, you just don't, you don't need yeah. to, do you? And I suppose if it's not relevant to the situation you're in, then, you know, no one turns up and says, oh, I'm 
oh, by the way, I'm in the middle of having a really bad time with my husband or whatever, you know, why do mm. you, why would you, should you feel like you have to do that with an eating disorder? It's no different, yeah. I suppose. No, it's true. You're, yeah, it's so true. I'm like, <laughs> I probably needed to hear that today. I'm like, yeah, it is so true. I think it's just hard, isn't it? And I guess I sometimes feel like, a, I don't know, like an obligation to tell people or to explain certain behaviours, which when I say it out loud, I'm like, that's ridiculous. Because um, you would be sat eating with these people or because you might do certain things or... I guess sometimes because I'm eating with them. So I feel like they need to know. But I wonder whether part of that as well is like for me, so I feel less guilty if I'm like mm-hmm. challenging myself with my recovery and having something that maybe I find slightly harder. So yeah. it's probably like a bit of a two-way weird thing going on in my brain (laughs) yeah this is what our brains do to us though it's crazy how strong they are and I don't know and then you start questioning things and overthinking things and actually yeah they don't need to know you don't need you don't know everything about them so yeah that's true (laughs) so how do you think as someone said how can we talk to our children to avoid them kind of getting into these bad habits do you think is it is it something that we need to start from a young age yeah, I think I think it is. Um, we're seeing like children like as young as kind of seven, eight years old at the moment developing eating disorders. So I wouldn't want people to think that we're blaming families if someone develops an eating disorder. But I do think there is like checking in with yourself around like not labeling foods as good and bad, like not constantly body checking in front of your kids, like not talking about dieting or kind of, I guess, imposing those rules on them. I went into a school a couple of months ago and there was an eight-year-old in one of the sessions and she asked me at the end of the session if she was allowed to eat bread because her mum never ate bread. So I think it is, and I think as well, like just kind of flooding them with affirmations, like making them feel good enough, making them feel really, really loved and ensuring that actually all mealtimes remain quite neutral places. In my family, pretty much every single mealtime turned into a massive argument growing up. And whilst that obviously didn't cause the eating disorder, I think it meant that quite often food became like a really emotionally charged place. So now in like my house, we have a rule that we don't argue at mealtimes. We don't have sit down for a meal if we're in an argument with someone and we try and again, just keep it a neutral space as well, just to ensure that actually that food is a positive experience constantly. Mm. Yeah, I think loads of people with children end up in that argument at mealtime like I was Mm. always a really fussy eater as a kid and I'd often be like left at the table for ages crying because I didn't like it and you know kind of forced to sit and eat it and I have a my eldest is really a really fussy eater so I try to be really laid back about it but it can be really hard can't it because you're like I just want you to eat some broccoli because it's good for you instead of just (laughs) eating beige food but then also you know there's not many adults that only eat beige food as they get older and you know it's hard I think sometimes to kind of separate the two and keep it like you say like kind of a chilled happy place I suppose yeah no definitely and I think like I don't I don't have children and I've got no idea how difficult it will be to navigate that situation at the time (laughs) I think I'm definitely going to get frustrated and probably Mm. be one of those parents that like bribes my children to have broccoli um, (laughs) which isn't probably the right thing to do but I think it is like just trying our best to kind of create that space where where they do feel like they're kind of heard and accepted. Hold up. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you planning a party, a barbecue, or even a garden soiree this summer? Now we're getting used to hosting again, we have to cater to all the needs of our guests. Lots of my friends and family don't like to drink too much alcohol, but love the taste and the celebration, and there's no reason why they should lose out. I always make sure to have a bottle of Atopia on hand so I can rustle up a quick Atopia and tonic for the designated drivers, expectant mothers or those who just want to take a night off and it even goes down well with the big drinkers too. I believe moderation shouldn't come with a compromise. To get started on your cocktail journey, head over to Atopia Spirits to get inspired. Someone else sent in a question which I thought was actually quite a good one and and I hadn't really thought of. They said, what's the best way for a PT to help someone with or recovering from an eating disorder? That is such a good question. Should they be with a PT? What's the, you know, what's the, how do you handle that? Yeah, so I, I think it's okay to get a personal trainer if you've had an eating disorder. I do think that well, and definitely for me, actually, my recovery wasn't about cutting out exercise altogether, but it was about working out how I could bring it into my life and have that healthy relationship with it. And it's been difficult in places. Part of my eating disorder is wrapped up in obsessive exercise. But getting to that space, I think now where I'm able to understand that again, like I said at the start, kind of what it's doing for me. So I think in those moments, it's about having like a really, really good conversation with that person about it, like understanding mm. what the needs are that they need and like how they can, I guess, like how you can have that positive conversation about exercise without making it something that's regimented. I'd say avoiding talking about calories and Mm. kind of fat burning and things like that. But instead, actually look at how that person's feeling. Have they got energy? Have they, are they recovering well? Are they fueling in the right way? And then also encouraging them to actually understand about the rest days within that as well. And so they know that actually if they're exercising a certain amount, they need to have a certain amount of rest days. And getting them to understand, I think, when they are feeling that need to kind of exercise much more or getting obsessed with it again actually, what are we doing in that moment to then support them to kind of move away from that regimented structure again? Um, mm. But it, I think it, I think it's, it's one of those things that I think, again, is really hard. But I would never say don't train someone who's had an eating disorder. But if you build up that kind of trusting dialogue, hopefully they'll be able to be a bit honest about it. Yeah, I suppose it's like, would you say, I don't know, maybe talking more about what it's doing for your body rather than, oh, if you do this, we're burning... 300 calories or if you do this you'll lose fat here and more like oh this keeps your I don't know ligaments (laughs) moving or do you know what I mean rather than because like sometimes I have to remind myself with training and I think has been quite a big shift for me mentally is like I've always seen training as a way to like punish myself like right you've got to do this because you need to lose weight and you hate it but you still have to do it and now I'm more like well no actually this really helps me mentally and and as I get older if I if I'm training it'll keep me fitter and you know like 
I don't know, like this keeps my body moving and my yeah. heart healthy and kind of thinking how my body works as a whole rather than just as a punishment and calorie losing, I suppose. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it is that, it's like that holistic approach, isn't it? Where you look at the whole body without fixating on certain factors within it. And for me, that's definitely really helped as well, I think. And I think as well, like, getting the person maybe to understand there will be days when maybe they want to punish themselves or they want to obsessively exercise but actually in those moments like what can they do instead like mm. can they sit with that emotion like again like is it serving that kind of dangerous purpose still but I, I, I do still think it's really difficult and I hate to be really negative but I just think like it, with exercise in society like again isn't it it's so fixated on burning fat and losing weight and stuff that sometimes like it's hard to have that internal shift Mm. do you feel since lockdown and things that's become even bigger online hasn't it is like working out training and that whole yeah. thing it's like hit workouts yeah. how, how much can you sweat <laughs> how much can how many calories can you burn in like 20 minutes and it's so frustrating I remember there was one point in lockdown where every time I opened my Instagram there was like another exercise live or I'd click on someone's story and they were exercising a certain amount or showing like what gym equipment they had at home and I found that really, really triggering, if I'm honest, because I was like, maybe really? I should be doing more. Maybe I should be out there doing a certain amount of exercise. But yeah, like I, it has. And I think, again, it just stops you understanding what your body needs in that moment, doesn't it? Because you feel the need to kind of constantly be getting up and getting out there. And I know for me, like I have to be really, really careful with my exercise to make sure that I'm doing it in a healthy way and I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I think like I'm definitely having that shift in mindset but it, it's still hard work. Um, and I think like if you're a female, it is then potentially like understanding like what your hormones are like, like is it having an impact on your sleep, on your period, everything like that. And then if you look at all of that as like a whole picture, then you can understand what healthy kind of is for you in that moment. Mm. And what made you then, what was your turning point for you? When did you kind of go, right, this is an issue and I need to do something about it? Yeah, so I think I've had two big turning points. Um, so the first one was when I first went into treatment. So I'd I was like <clears throat> been at CAMS for about six months, like nothing had really worked for me as an outpatient. And then I got admitted to treatment and had to spend a year living in hospital. Wow. And for the first three days, I hated it. Um, I hated every single person there. I blamed everyone for what was going on in my life. I felt like the whole of my world was just falling apart. And it really, really frustrated me. I was like 17 years old and I was just stuck in this hospital. And on the Friday nights after being there for three days, one of the nurses came in to see me and she brought with her these massive pieces of paper, marking on one piece of paper where my head was and where my feet were. And then she got me to draw kind of the outline of what I thought like I looked. So I kind of drew this picture of myself and then she got me to lie down on that exact same piece of paper and she traced around like my exact kind of silhouette of my body and then got me to stand up and look back down at it. And I had this realisation then after kind of, first of all, thought she'd somehow lied to me and tricked me, mm. kind of my brain went a bit all over the shot. But I actually had this moment that evening that something was really wrong with the way that I viewed myself and that I really like had to start at least trying to have a little bit to eat and then something would kind of click, hopefully, and something would work for me. And then I think then most recently, probably over the pandemic, actually, I had this realisation that I'd kind of settled in my recovery for far too long. And 
I was still not allowing myself to have certain foods, like just struggling a little bit around certain mealtimes, things like that. And I have kind of just after Christmas had this realization that actually I didn't want to have a future like this. Like I wanted to be able to go and get croissants with my children if I feel like doing that or like letting my kids cook for me one day and not having a panic about it. And I had this kind of moment when I was like, actually, do you know what? Like if I want to have the life that I really, really want to have, I'm going to have to sit through all of these challenging situations, feel really, really uncomfortable a lot of the time. But actually, if I sit and kind of keep pushing on, like I know, hope, like I, I know, I know that one day something will change. Um, but it's it's been hard. And I think like for me, I set myself this goal um, <laughs> that I'm getting married at the end of the summer. And I was like, by my wedding, I'm going to be 100% cured. And I don't think I will be. But I also do think that by my wedding day, I'll have like a real understanding of what my brain's like, like what it's going to try and do on the day and how I can navigate that, which will then get Mm -hmm. me through that hurdle. And then it will be like actually just really focusing on pushing myself a little bit more. So do you think you'll be able to enjoy your wedding day for what it is? Is that kind of your aim? Is that why you're like, I want to be cured by then because I just want to take it all in and just have that moment and not it not be kind of not tarnished, but kind of have that in the back of your mind yeah no and I I, yeah it is I really want to enjoy the day I think I've kind of been thinking recently and I actually spoke to a friend the other day about this about like how the eating disorder will probably do a whole load of awful stuff on the morning and will make me feel really body conscious it will make me feel really bad about things but I think if I can predict how it's going to respond Mm. and make me feel then actually I can think actually in my well moment this is how I would respond in that situation um, and I think I will enjoy it. I think partly because there'll probably be so much stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I'm setting myself up the best I possibly can to enjoy it. Um, and, yeah. and how did you find that with meeting someone then? You've obviously, you know, you've been together a while, you're getting married, you've kind of, you obviously know each other very well. When you went into that relationship originally, did it take you a long time to kind of open up about the fact that you have an eating disorder? Did you feel like that was like a really big thing to kind of tell a new partner yeah it it was um I went in it in a very matter-of-fact way like this happened this is not a part of my life anymore like I'm fine kind of thing um but I think we've definitely both we've got so much closer over the last year with it and with I guess him seeing how it kind of outplays in my life a little bit more I travel like a lot with work so I'm kind of we don't spend a huge amount of time together kind of pre-pandemic so I think he's probably learned a lot more like now but Mm. a couple of years ago like he'd probably have to like check menus before we went out for dinner like he'd have to kind of set those boundaries with people to be like actually can you not talk about the portion size can you not talk about dieting can you not talk about calories and he kind of took that role on to do that a lot for me um but I think it's it's weird sometimes with a partner because He's not like my primary carer because mm. we're, yeah, we're like equal. But at the same time, like sometimes he probably would maybe in the past have needed to be like, actually, you probably need to have something else. Or have you forgotten to eat like a snack today? Or do you think that you're in a bad mood because you're hungry and all of that sort of stuff? So I think for him, it's like he has has had to navigate how to be that kind of caring person without trying to take over and take control. With And yeah, but it, it's been hard. And I think... Because my body image is still quite difficult. That's really hard for him probably as well. But we're, I think we're learning as we go and mm. just going to see. <laughs> but how great that you've got a partner that's so understanding and has tried to do those things for you and has taken on some of it to kind of 
stop you from having to do that when you're out and about I suppose it's lovely yeah it is it's so helpful I feel very yeah I do feel really lucky actually so last question like would you find that whole thing of you drawing what you think you look like and then drawing around your body body dysmorphia is a huge thing right like I know I've I can look back at pictures and say god I felt huge on that day I was so self-conscious um I was really worried about what I looked I felt so uncomfortable and all I could think about was like how big I looked and then I look at the picture now and I'm like god I'd love to look like that I think I look great (laughs) and I think oh I should have been walking around in just a bikini or whatever and then I think how crazy that our brains do that to us like it's scary it's so annoying it's like I think that's one of the hardest things in my recovery is realizing that the way that I view myself isn't how everybody else views me. Mm -hmm. And I now am at a space, I think, where I'm able to look at the evidence and kind of, I guess, assess what size I am. But I still get afraid of a lot of the judgment around it and things like that. Um, But a big thing for me has literally just been either ignoring the mirror if I'm having a bad day, like having clothes that... I feel kind of comfortable in so that if I'm really struggling to get dressed in the morning, I can just put on something that's in my wardrobe that I know looks kind of okay and I'll be happy with it. And then also kind of going back to that thing being like, actually, why why am I feeling this way about my body? Like, what is going on? Like, why don't I feel good enough? And why am I feeling the need to get my self-worth from what I look like? Mm. But I always make it sound really easy and it's so <laughs> difficult at points. And even like over the weekend actually yesterday before I went um out to watch the football I must have tried on about I don't know 60 different outfits to try and work out what I wanted what looked good what didn't look good and the more I tried it on the more stressed I was getting about it and Mm. I ended up just pulling on like a pair of um leggings and a black dress and was like do you know what like my friends don't care what I look like this evening. Like they want me to go and they want me to have fun and it doesn't matter what I look like. And I think when I told myself that, kind of got dressed and just left the house, actually the kind of, I guess the feelings passed quite quickly mm. actually on my way over. And I bet you don't sit and judge what everyone else looks like. Or do you? Do you find yourself looking and comparing yourself to people? Because I often think like, you know, if I, before I got this whole beach body ready thing, like when I was younger, I just wouldn't have even thought it'd be like, yeah, I'm going on holiday. Cool. Get the bikinis out. Done. And then I don't know where the switch happened or whether it was society or whatever. And I, and I still find that I get stressed before I go away. And then actually once I'm there, I sit and I kind of look around and not in a, in a horrible judgmental way. Like I enjoy sitting and looking at other people's bodies. And I think, why was I so bothered? We're all so different. And that Mm. person's walking around and they look comfortable and they're in a bikini and they're slimmer, but not as toned. They're bigger, like, you know, just a whole array of body types. And you think, why do we all get so fixated? Because actually we don't all look the same at all anyway. Yeah. And I do that. Actually, I do do that on the beach as well. Mm. And I find it quite like, yeah, satisfying. I don't know if that's the right word, but like quite nice to see everyone looking such different shapes and sizes because then it's, it makes us, me kind of remember that like we're all really unique and mm. that's okay. I think I do still do the comparison thing. Yeah. I don't, I guess I don't judge people like, but I definitely compare. And I think my problem is, is I often compare and then always turn out so much worse than everybody else. So I'm trying to shift that at the moment to be like, actually, do you know what? Like, I don't even have to look at what anyone else is looking like. Mm. But it's, it's yeah, it's hard. And I think sometimes when you've had an eating disorder, you still look on at people as 
I don't know, like kind of you objectify, I guess, all of the emotions that you're feeling onto someone else and onto yourself. So then your brain's kind of constantly kind of wearing, trying to work things out. Um, but I definitely want to get to a space where I'm just totally okay with what I look like. And like, I'm that person on Instagram who's happy to share whatever body size and shape I am and be okay with it and just kind of own it. Do you think that's possible? Because I often look at people who do this body positivity stuff and I think I envy them. And then it also makes me feel guilty that I don't feel like them. Um, and I think, oh, why, why can I not be like that? And I think, do you think they have days where they struggle as well? Yeah, I do. I wonder sometimes, um, yeah, like whether they still need to get that kind of affirmation occasionally maybe from others. I don't know, which mm. is why maybe they share it, which sounds really mean. Um, but I, I do sometimes question it. And I do, but I do think that we can all get there. But maybe it is like trying to find a way to become less preoccupied with our bodies. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think you could though. I think I could. Definitely think we all could. Yeah, oh, I hope so. <laughs> I yeah. hope you can. <laughs> I think it's weird though, isn't it? Like with bodies, because I think we all do feel quite self-conscious because we've got that like ideal self or whatever in our head that we're like, if I looked like that, I'd be so much more accepted mm. and people I'd would be happier. Kind of, yeah, and like more loved and good enough, like everything like that. And I'm like, actually, that doesn't, that's not what will change it. Like it's about me as a person. But I say all this and I'm definitely not yet at that space. <laughs> <laughs> so what would your, I always ask everyone at the end, what would your three bits of advice be for people who feel like they might have an unhealthy relationship with food? Um, so don't judge what you look like and whether you deserve help based on that. If you have resonated with anything today or you see stuff online that you resonate with like use that as a bit of an opportunity to actually start to kind of reach out for support and have a conversation with it um I think the second thing is to try and work out who you have in your life that you can talk to about this sort of stuff like people that you can honestly say I'm having a really difficult day I'm struggling with this and build up like that support network around yourself where you've got people who are kind of championing you and really cheering you on um and then I think as well, kind of finally, is working out kind of what purpose the eating disorder is serving for you in that moment. And once you start to unpack that, actually realising there's other things that you can do in that moment instead of resorting back to those behaviours. So an example of that for me is when I have a difficult day or even when sometimes actually when I have a really good day and I get really good news, I struggle to tell people the good news. And then I then struggle if I don't get the response that I'm expecting to get. So I've been going through this whole process at the moment of like reparenting myself. And I quite literally will lie in bed in the evening and I will tell myself all of those things that I wish that a parent would say to me. And it really, really helps me to kind of start to cheerlead myself, which I hate that expression, but cheerlead myself so that I'm like able to actually just be reliant on myself as well and I think it, it helps me, to, again, to then not go back to those eating disorder behaviours to try and allow myself to be heard. OK, thank you. That makes sense. I might start doing that as well. <laughs> it's you quite did really nice. well today, Frank. Well done. <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes you do share something, don't you? And you think, oh, kind of was expecting more from that, which is, yeah. I don't know, quite an honest thing to admit to, I suppose. But yeah, I reckon everyone feels like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> well thank you so much like literally I've loved talking to you and I know like I said like it was it seemed to be a really popular subject sadly so it's clearly something that lots of people are 
either feel like they're struggling with or know someone who is. And I think it's a really difficult one to approach for people. We don't always know how to approach that and and all the the background to why someone has started those things and it can be a lot deeper than we think so thank you so much I've definitely enjoyed it I think you all have helped so many people and um, I follow you on Instagram now so I'll be following your journey and I hope by your wedding day (laughs) that you just feel as beautiful as you should oh thanks thanks so much for having me it was so lovely to chat to you thanks Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind. I hope this has been really helpful to you. If you have been affected by this episode or would like to find out any more information regarding mental health, then please head over to mind.org.uk. And follow me on Instagram to look out for my stories where I reveal each new guest and collect all of your fantastic questions to put forward to them. See you soon. Are you trying to cut down on alcohol to boost your well-being? Well, personally, I love going out for drinks with my friends, but hate how I feel the morning after. And that's why I decided to moderate my alcohol intake with Atopia. They have an ultra-low alcohol spirit that tastes just as good as my usual drink without any of the nasty side effects or embarrassing photos. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Wake up with a spring in your step and your well-being in check. Available from Waitrose and online.